On March the 2nd, in the year 2000, I was at a loss. Shannon and I had spent about two years praying and investigating and and trying to figure out what God's direction was for us. We were working through this call. We sensed that God was calling us to come to New York, to come to this area, to start a church. Then a month before that, on February the 2nd, 2000, we had moved all of our worldly belongings into Queensbury, New York. We packed up a rider truck and we brought our two kids at the time and we unloaded everything and we're like, okay, everybody, we're here. Where were you all at, by the way? (laughs) We're taking names as you leave this morning. I want an accounting of where everybody was on February the 2nd, 2000, okay? (laughs) But no, we came, we were excited. We knew God God had spoken to us. We knew God had led us. He had provided for us, and and He had brought us to this place. And and we just knew that there were people that God wanted to work in their lives, and we were going to start a church. And so for the first month, we worked hard, and we prayed, and we were looking, and we were were doing everything we knew to do. And on March the 2nd, I was sitting in my office, which at the time was a basement in the bottom of our apartment, a dark, cool basement, and I was sitting there in that basement, and, and I remember, I, and I'm not prone to discouragement. I don't get down, I don't get very high, I don't get very low, I, I usually am kind of somewhere in between. I don't get, I don't get very discouraged, but I was just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start a church. I, I don't know how to find people. I don't know, I just don't know. I don't feel like thinking about it this morning. So I just kind of wasted my time and vegged out a little bit, kind of messed around with some email. Then after about 30 minutes or an hour, I, I kind of sensed the Lord saying to me, okay, if you're through pouting, I'd like to speak to you. And I said, Lord, I, I don't have anywhere to go. I, I don't even know. Have you ever been like that? I don't even know where to go in the Word. You ever, you ever, know, you ever been like that? Have you ever just kind of done that, just open up the Bible and where it lands thing? Well, you know, I was like, Lord, I don't even know where to turn your word. And God put on my heart that one of my youth, when we lived in North Carolina, had given me a book, a devotional book by Charles Stanley called On Holy Ground. And actually, it was kind of special to me because Exodus 3 and 4, where God speaks to Moses, was really kind of critical to God calling us to come here. And so God put this on my heart, and I said, okay, it's dated. I'll turn to March the 2nd. So I turned to March the 2nd, and it said, turn to Joshua chapter 6. That was the passage that I read that morning. This is the passage that we're going to look at together this morning. I didn't realize it at the time, but that day was going to mark a significant turning point in the starting of New Hope Community Church. We've been talking together over the last few weeks as God's been transitioning us to this new stage of life and ministry together. We've been talking about moving forward. We're looking at Joshua's chapters 1 through 6. We're saying, you know what? For generations, God had been speaking to the nation of Israel, to the children of Israel. He said, I have a purpose for you. I want to work in you. And I want to be your God so that the rest of the people, the rest of the nations of the world will see what a great God I am. And they will look to you and say, hey, how can we know your God? That was God's purpose. And so he had led them out of bondage in Egypt into, they were crossing over the Jordan River. And they were going into the promised land, the victorious, powerful life that God wanted to give them. 
And we've talked about how many of those principles that he spoke to them are principles that, that God has at work in our own lives and in our own church family, especially as we're going through this transition. And coincidentally, on the very weekend, I didn't know what weekend we were moving in. Let me tell you how I didn't know, because it would have been before today. Okay, it would have been before this weekend. As I was praying about this series, as I was praying about these passages, I just said, Lord, I'm just gonna, I feel like you put on my heart to share these things and just let them fall where they may. On the very weekend that we are moving into this facility, are you kidding me? God brings us right back to this incredible passage in Joshua chapter 6 where our church started in the first place. What amazing God. Are you paying attention? God is speaking if we would just listen. Amen. And today I want to talk to you about the path to victory. I believe that's what the Lord wants to show us this morning in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. As we live our lives, as we serve Him together as a church family, what is, the, what is the path that God has laid in front of us that He says will lead us to a victorious experience of life? And first of all, I needed to realize on that morning as I was pouting, as I was struggling, as I was trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? I need to realize, and we need to realize, as we walk with the Lord and as we serve Him, that when we're following God's plan for our life, first of all, we need to realize there will always be some obstacles. Look at verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Jericho was a fortified city that had two walls. And my understanding is the first wall was about 6 feet wide and the second wall was about 12 to 15 feet wide. And here they go, they cross the Jordan River, and the first thing they find is this walled, fortified city. This is one of the things that has always frustrated me about life. Why does it have to be so hard? Amen? I mean, why can't we just all get along? Why can't we play nice? Why can't we share our toys? Why can't we just yield to each other in traffic or work together? Or why, why do there have to be earthquakes and problems and sickness and finances? Why? Life could be so wonderful if it wasn't for all this stuff. Amen? Did, did any of you ever think at work, if we would just all kind of get together on the same page, we could knock it out of the park here at this office. We could make some sales. We could make some money. If, if all the waste was trimmed, amen, have you ever thought about that? All the, all, the, all the negatives. Why does it have to be that way? But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised. The Bible says that Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, he says, listen, you need to realize something. In the world, you will have tribulation." Okay, so Robbie, and if you're in the same place I am, you, we have to get over it. There is going to be problems. And in fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that we, we shouldn't be surprised by those things. The Bible says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Are you ever surprised at problems? Do you ever say, man, things were going so well. Why did this have to happen? I'm surprised by it. I, I didn't expect this. The Bible says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't we feel like it's strange? Don't we feel like, this is not right. This shouldn't have happened. Why do these kind of things happen to me? The Bible says we should not feel that way. There's always going to be obstacles. 
The Israelites were on their way to this great promised land, but there was just one problem. The city of Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world, lay in front of them, and they were preparing for a siege from the Israelites. They were preparing for a battle, and that challenge, that obstacle, stood between them and the life that God had for them. On that day in March of 2000, we had a lot of obstacles to face. Like I said, we had no people. There was nobody, wait, there was no church. I've shared with you guys before, I wasn't just bent on starting a church, okay? I was like, I felt called to Queensbury. I felt called to this area. If y'all had been here and y'all had, had a church and y'all had asked me, I would have came, all right? But, but y'all weren't. So, so we just had to come, okay? So there were no people. There was no building. There was no Bible study going. There was nothing happening. There, there, there was no money or not much. We had, we had no place to meet and, and it was snowing, I have a picture of Josh. Y'all wouldn't believe this because he can hold me like this now. I have a picture of Josh. When we got out of the, when we, when we unpacked the moving truck, I said, okay, we're going to get this over with. We're going to get baptized in this stuff, all right? We live in New York. We, we, it snows here, people, okay? So we got to get over this. So we went out. We, we had this nice sledding hill next to our apartments. And Josh, I think he was about a year and a half, I think. I think he thought he was going to drown in this stuff. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like two feet high. And, and I have a picture of me holding him He's just flailed out like this, having a fit, like I'm, I'm going to die in this white stuff. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? In order for us together as a church family to get to this point that we're at today, we've had obstacles. People, do you realize we started this process eight years ago? Good grief. In the fall of 2004, if you told me it was going to be June 17th when I was finally going to be speaking to you in our new building, I said, I ain't doing that. <laughs> eight years. That's a long time, amen? What were you doing over the last eight years? We were looking for land for five of them. And then for two, we were working on finance. And then for one, we've been working on getting it built. Man, things, there are obstacles, aren't there? Things aren't always as easy as we would like for them to be. And I remember reading this passage in March of 2000, and it said, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. I said, Lord, that's where I live. I live in Queensbury, and it's tightly shut, and nobody's coming out to me, and nobody's allowed me into their lives. But my concern this morning as we sit here in this nice, large facility today is that we might be tempted to think like many churches do, like many Christians do in churches like ours, Oh, oh, now all the hard stuff's over. It's going to be good stuff now. All good stuff. But we, there used to be a time that we didn't have a youth group. I remember when people would come in and, and a young family would come in and I'd be like, oh no, I've got to tell them we don't have a youth group. And they're not coming back. But now we have a youth group. And now we have a children's ministry. And now we have some core basic ministries in place. And we can start thinking, you know, we've got some things. We've done some things. We kind of get settled. It's going to be really good. Yay, yay. And you know what? It is going to be really good. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But we have to realize this building, this place that God has brought us is not heaven. This is not the end. Today's not the ultimate. It's not the culmination. This is another step on the path to victory. 
And we've got more obstacles to face. We've had them in the past, and I guarantee you, I don't know what they are, I don't know when they're coming, but we are going to have more challenges. We need to realize that. But I told you there'd be some good news. Look at verse 2. God promises our success. You shouldn't just take that with just a blank face this morning. Somebody should be standing up in their chair, jumping up and saying, Woohoo! Guys, listen. Where else in the world are you going to go and be promised that no matter what, you are going to make it? God promises our success. Yes, Joshua, there are obstacles. There's a big city right there, and it's standing between you and what I've given you. But when God tells you to go somewhere, even if there's an obstacle, you can better believe that obstacle's coming down. He says, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors. I remember reading those verses 12 years ago. And God spoke to me just as clearly as if he'd spoken to me verbally. He said, Robbie, I have called you here to start a church. I am going to start a church in this area. And I want to work through you. And it's going to be a church that's going to have a visible and lasting impact in this community and around the world. God, I believe, made me a promise. Over over the course of two years' time of praying and and seeking his heart, I believe God said, I am going to do this. You've got some obstacles. Listen, like I said, I was sitting in my basement. I didn't even have a phone. And and yeah, we're going to have a church. There was nothing to show for. I didn't even know anybody. Can you imagine? Let's just say today you just up and went to go start a church in some community. Let's turn around. You go back to North Carolina where I came from, okay? When you have a lot of questions... Where do I go, and, and, and where do I live, and where do we go to Walmart, and you know, where, do, where do we get our oil changed, and, and what, are our kid, what school are our kids going to go to, and who are our friends going to be, and do our neighbors like us? Oh, sure, we're just going to pull up and say, hey, we just moved in. Would you like to start a church, right? It doesn't work like that. But God has said, I'm going to do this, and I knew the Lord had made me a promise, and I took him up on it. Do you know God's made you some promises? Some wonderful promises for success in your life. Let me give you some verses. Write down Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The Bible says we all have a huge obstacle. That obstacle is called sin. And the Bible says that God has made us a promise in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I remember as a 12-year-old boy going on 13, I remember someone speaking to me, someone sharing with me in a church, in a children's ministry. I remember someone sharing with me, Robbie, you have sin in your heart, and that sin is keeping you from God. And I knew, my heart affirmed that. That is true. I have done things wrong. And I can tell that things aren't right between me and God. And they said, but Christ died on the cross for you, and he rose from the dead, and he's willing to forgive you if you trust in him. The Bible makes a promise, friend. If you are sitting here today and you do not know 100%, listen, and I'm not talking about 99.998. I'm talking 100%. If you do not know with 100% certainty, not because of anything you've done, But because of you trusting in Christ, if you do not know that today, the Bible says God gives you an amazing promise. You can be victorious. You can know that you're going to make it, that you're right with God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved this morning. You can have that. 
In Psalm 23, verse 4, the Bible promises us that we will have victory over our trials. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even on the day that you breathe your last here on this earth, even in those moments, and actually, I've shared with you before, that can be translated even in the valley of deep shadows, which may translate to more of us because maybe you don't feel like you're in a death, on your deathbed right now, but you might feel like you're going through a valley with deep shadows. Amen? It's all darkness around me. Even though I walk, I've, I've shared with you before, friend, listen, if you are a child of God, the Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You, if you are in the pitch black darkest of night, and everything in you, every sensation you have says danger, trouble, fear, death. If you are in Christ, your heart should start beating a little bit fast. Because you ought to say, now I don't know what's going to happen here, but I know God's about to break through that darkness somewhere. Where's that little light? Amen? For in Christ, God promises you. No matter how deep the hole that you're in, no matter what trial, He is always with you. It may not feel like it, but He promises that to you. Then the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that God has given you a promise for victory in life. He says in that verse, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God says in His Word that He has given you everything you need, every resource you need to live this life, God has given to you. God has given you everything you need to walk with Him for life and for godliness. And then finally, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, the Bible says this, But in all things, all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. It's hard to translate that word. It, it means, okay, have you ever just gotten like, smashed by somebody else playing something. I remember when I was in, like, midget league football. I mean, we had a good team. I was on the All-Stars. We had a good team. I mean, we won a lot of games that year. And we got beat by this team called Bartow County 49 to nothing. I mean, we got smashed. They were overwhelmingly conquerors. They didn't just win the game. It was like no clear. Y'all ain't no good, all right? That's what the Bible says about us in Christ. God doesn't just kind of help us, and some of you are accepting less than the best. You're kind of saying, oh, my life is terrible. Maybe God can kind of help me. No, it's not that. It's not maybe God can kind of help me and bring me back up to zero or neutral or balance. No, the Bible says as bad as it is, God, in fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. God just amazingly can turn it around where some, something about heaven and our, and our experience of Him is we won't even remember all that that seems so hard in this life. This building literally is built on the promises of God. Many of you know. At our groundbreaking service, we buried a, a safe, a, a, a weatherproof safe in the middle of that foyer full of scrolls with the promises of God, the Word of God written on them. We're going to have somewhere in our building where we display those verses so they can be a marker for years to come for us to remember what God did. But you know what? Let's be careful. Let's don't worship the marker. Let's don't get excited about that. Let's remember what it means. What it means is we were symbolically saying this church has started and has sustained and it better continue to be built on the promises of God. 
that we read his word, we understand what he's saying, and we just believe him. Yes, we're going to face obstacles, but we are going to be victorious in Christ because God promised it to us. That day, when I opened up this devotional, I read Joshua 6. Here's what it said. It says, when you face a Jericho in life, Robbie, didn't say that, but that's what I heard, okay? Put your name in there. A problem you cannot solve, the seemingly impenetrable fortress of a broken relationship, a church you cannot start, which I heard in my heart, Trust God for the conquest. You may not understand how the sequence of events will unfold, and you may not feel the emotions of triumph while you wait for the outcome, but in the Lord you cannot lose. The victory is yours. Wow! What an amazing promise God has given to us. But there is something important in verses 3 through 5. We have to be willing to do things God's way. Okay, Lord, there's an obstacle, to say the least. You promise you're going to give us victory. How are we going to do this thing? Okay, Joshua, big warrior dude. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Okay, so we're going to have a parade? Okay, Lord. It shall be that when you make a long blast with a ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Of course, Lord. That's how it always happens in battle. We go for a walk for six days. On the seventh day we go for a long walk. We blow the trumpet. It's over. That's the way it always happens, right? Don't you imagine Joshua said, Lord, are you serious? I mean, I've trained for battle. I know how these things work. I see that wall, and this is how we're going to take this city for you. It's kind of what happened to me. I had, uh, when I was 17 years old, God called me into ministry. I thank God that he spoke to my heart early on. And, and I began to prepare for ministry immediately. I got involved in our church family, Shannon's dad, the church he was pastoring. I became the youth pastor for about three years there. After I graduated from uh, college with my religion and uh, philosophy major, I went to, uh, to get my MDiv as kind of a pastor's master's degree. I was involved in ministry again for seven more years. So I had 10 years of ministry and about 18 years of school. I don't know what it was, but it was a long time, okay? I'd been under some godly mentors. I'd seen how ministry works. I mean, obviously, I hadn't ever lived in New York. I hadn't ever started church, but, but I had some idea about some things. I had done some church planting courses and training and things like that. And so here I am, been doing all that for a month. And here's what the Lord says to me. Okay, I told Joshua, everywhere where your foot treads, I'm going to give you. So I said, okay, everywhere my tire treads, you're going to give me. All right, and I took out a map, and I took a highlighter, and I drew around Queensbury and Glens Falls. Once a day, for six days, I drove around. Took me about 50 minutes a day. No radio on, no talking, no praying. I got to be honest with you, I felt like an idiot. Lord, you know, this thing happens relationally. You know, I mean, I kind of need to talk to some people, you know. No, I want you to be quiet. I want you to ride around the city once a day for six days. 
And then I saw that seventh day coming. That was going to be a marathon, all right? It was about five hours. I mean, my bottom was sore. You know, I'm like, Lord. And I had this little toy trumpet. I couldn't find it in my boxes. My office is just whatever. But Josh had this little toy trumpet. I've still got it. You can come by my office some other time when I get unpacked next month. But I... I had this little toy trumpet, and, you know, I know texting and driving is, you know, against the law. I don't know about blowing trumpets and driving, but when I got right there about Ridge and uh, Quaker Road, I blew the trumpet. Woohoo! Walls come down. <laughs> I went home that night, and the kids were already in bed. Shannon, I think, was brushing her teeth. She was standing in the in the bathroom, and I just walked to the top of the steps of our apartment. I sat down on the top step, and I was like, whatever. So Shannon says, uh, I think something happened today. And obviously, I didn't want to be unspiritual with my wife, you know. I, I was thinking, yeah, right. But I said, what happened today? She says, well, I was at the uh, fun spot, and she was just being a mom and trying to get out and meet some people and just let God use her and the kids. And so she so I was at the fun spot, and this lady walks up to me and starts talking to me about church. She was, she was trying to witness to me. And Shannon was just standing there, and, and the lady, just to start the witnessing conversation, to start the conversation about God, she said, you know, my husband and I, we can't find a good church. And they said, we've been looking for years. She said, we've been praying that for the last five or six years that some college or seminary would send somebody here to start a church. She walked up to Shannon before she even knew her name. So Shannon's mouth is wide open. The lady says, what's wrong? She said, well, that's why we're here. That lady and her husband on a dentist's office, they open up the dentist's office that we use... (laughs) I wouldn't recommend that as a good place to start a church. I mean, a dentist's office is about the most painful place in the world to think of, right? That wasn't exactly seeker-sensitive, as if you know anything about church planting. <clears throat> God used them. They sent out letters to their friend. Nineteen people showed up. And that's where it went from there. That was the beginning of New Hope starting. I didn't start New Hope. As usual in my life, it was the Lord and Shannon who did the work. <laughs> and the fun spot. You got to give them some credit, right? <laughs> As we stand at this important moment in the history of our church family, let me just remind us. If we are going to see amazing victory, and do you want to? Are you hungry for it? I've tasted some. I've actually tasted a lot. Praise be to the Lord. But I think it's just been mercy drops, as the song says. I'd like to see some showers, amen? I think we've only just begun to see what God can do. And the only way we can be assured that we're going to have that victory is if we make a decision. Listen, friends, it scares me. Because some churches, they kind of get to the point, we got our own facility, and, you know, look at all the nice, and all this stuff, and things, and ministries, and we start thinking we've done something. We've arrived, and it feels good, and it's comfortable, and I can kind of settle in here. Who gave me the right to do that? I'm just in a little bit larger building. I'm just on a little bit taller platform so people can see farther back. But nothing's changed about Robbie Lankford. It better not have. And nothing better changed about us. We better keep that focus that it's all about I need a Savior. 
And he's changed my life, and he's working in my life. And as he's working in my life, I want to help other people experience him as well. Amen? How do we do it his way? You've heard us talk about worship, grow, serve. Worship. We've got to keep a focus on his word. We don't have anything else to give people at New Hope. It's the word of God. There is a famine for the word of God across the world, across our land. We don't need to get pretty. We don't need to dress it up. Let's just give people what God says and let him do the work. That's God's way. God says, I'll watch over my word to perform it. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who dishonor me, I will not honor. It comes through prayer. Thank God we have a testimony as a praying church. But I hope we're not sitting back on that saying, yeah, we pray. Yeah, we're proud of it. Are you kidding? How could you be praying and proud of it? Amen? So we should say, God, we've tasted what a praying church can experience, but, but, but there must be more that he has for us. Amen? God, help us to understand how we can incorporate praying with each other and for each other and for our friends and for our community and for the world. God, help us to figure out how to do that more. That's how it happens, by seeking him. What about that grow part? That's, that's the way we do it, God's way. Is God, I want to continue to seek to live a life that's honoring to you. If we ever stop doing that, we're in trouble. God, God, not the lady next to me, not the guy next to me, but this is the person that you need to work in today. Amen? God, show me what I need to do. Show me what sins in my life. God, show me how I'm honoring you, how I'm grieving your spirit. That serve part. God blesses people who serve one another in a church family and who have a heart to love and to serve our community. Somebody was talking to me the other day about hearing from God. You know, I haven't thought about this until just a few weeks ago. God really spoke to my heart. Several people have asked me, how do you have confidence that you're hearing from God? And I began to think about, you know what? When did I begin to have more and more confidence that I was clearly hearing from God? Let me tell you when it was. When I made a decision to step over the line and just be a servant for God. When you get engaged in God's work, you will learn to discern the voice of the Lord more clearly. So do it for yourself. I need to hear from God. I need to get in the game and start sacrificially laying down my life in service to others so that their lives can be better. When you do that, you will get to know the heart of God like you have never. Because you're right there with his heartbeat. You've got your head on his chest. He has a heart for people. And when you begin to have a heart for people, you're going to have confidence that you are hearing his voice. Let me read to you a verse that summarizes that. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul was talking to this great church in Philippi. He says, only conduct yourselves. Here's how we should be living. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, what would that be, right? As soon as I read that, I think, what would that be? So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, Paul says, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's a, good, that's a good challenge for a church family, that we are standing firm on the Lord's Word and His promises, trusting in Him with one Spirit, united together, striving, working hard together to do God's work for the faith of the Gospel so that people might know Christ as your Savior. That's a great theme for any church, amen? 
Church family, I believe, I truly believe with all my heart that we have only just begun. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, things which I have not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. I truly believe we have just begun to see what an almighty God could do if we trust him. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't get satisfied with this. Don't say this is the, this is the pinnacle. This is the ultimate. You know what? Thank God for resources. But what most ought to drive our heart is, I see a new life being changed. I see a new heart being touched. I see a new family being rescued. Amen? And as we walk that path, we need to realize there's going to be some problems. Hey, like, as soon as I get done, I'll probably get a phone call. Right? Like tomorrow, I'll be excited because we had a great weekend, and all of a sudden, oh, man. Amen? That's reality. But God promises us, Robbie, it does not matter. New hope, it does not matter. If you keep your eyes on me, if you do things my way, you have overwhelming victory through my son Jesus Christ. It's such good news. I can face tomorrow. Amen? Because he's alive, I can face it. I'd be scared to death. I've been scared to death. I walked this property before we even started excavating for the building, and I said, what have I gotten myself into? God, I don't do this kind of stuff. Amen? But Christ is leading us, and he's promised to take care of us. You can take that same promise for your own life and family. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, today we are humbled that you would even take the time to be involved with us. And it's much more amazing than that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are complex and intricate, and every one of us are uniquely different by your design. What a personal, intimate God you are. And we know it in our heart. Many times church has told us that you're distant, you're far away. The world tells us there is no God or he's an impersonal force. But we know in our hearts, God, that we were created and made by a personal God. And we thank you that we find that it's true. Your word says it's true, what we hoped and longed for. And God, we don't have to work our way to you that we can have by your grace and your forgiveness, a relationship with you. And you'll help us. You're not a slave driver, God, but you want to help us. And you want to give us a purpose that you created us to live. What an amazing story. It's good news. And everybody needs to hear it and have an opportunity to receive it. And so I thank you for giving us this next step on the path to victory. I pray that today as we take this step together, that someone, some individual here in this room, that many will take that step in their own life. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that does not know 100% that you are their Savior, that today they would say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me? 
Would you be my Savior? I want to follow you. Thank you for saving me, God. Father, there are many Christians who've been holding out, who've been, who've been circling the runway. And God, it's time for them to land. It's time for them to go somewhere and do something and trust you. And Lord, this is a great time for them, a marker for them. I pray today that you would speak to hearts about sin, about ministry, whatever it is today, God. In these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.